When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everyone, and welcome to this special episode of Pixels, where I'm going to spoil the entirety of The Last of Us Part 2, and of course The Last of Us Part 1. Um, this is going to be... I'm going to do a little bit of non-spoilery-ish talk at the beginning, but really, if you don't want to, if you haven't played through the game, I would recommend you don't listen to this uh, show unless you really have no intention of playing it ever, or I guess in the next six months, a year, because after that, the thing will have been discussed so much that you probably won't be able to avoid uh, the spoilers. So if you're intending on playing it before the end of the year, I would suggest don't listen to this episode until you have. My name is Patrick Beja, and uh, I have a lot of thoughts. This is not going to be uh, an easy episode to do because this subject matter is so complex and uh, evokes so many things. Just for a little bit of context, I adored The First Last of Us as many people. Uh, I thought it was probably the best game ever made. Um, there are a couple of games up there in my uh, uh, best games list, but uh, this is very likely the best game ever created. And it doesn't mean it doesn't have its faults, of course, but overall, the things that it did with the story and the way it made you feel uh, pushed it up to the top for me. Now, the second one was not a given. And of course, as many people have commented uh, and are still commenting now, not every game needs a sequel. Not every game needs to be uh, uh, expanded upon. And especially in this case, where the story was so perfectly complete, it was very understandable that people would be skeptical about the need for another one. And if you were to argue that it actually did not need another one, I could completely understand. Uh, but uh, uh, having played through it and having thought about it for a, a week now, and I'm sure my thinking will evolve uh, over the next weeks and months, but I can understand the value of that second one. Um, as I mentioned, I finished the game a week ago, and I honestly still don't know for sure what I think about it. I just uh, tweeted the fact that when I had just finished it, I wasn't sure how much I liked it. Uh, but now, with the benefit of having let it rest a little bit and uh, having thought about it a lot more, I think I like it a lot more um, than before. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean I thought it was fun or even enjoyable, which I'll get to in a little bit. But at this stage, I think it might be my game of the year. Of course, the year is far from over, but I think it might be my game of the year, which 
was 100% not a given when I had just finished it. And I think it's interesting that the first one as well requires you to let it sit for a little bit and, and think about it and think about what you went through in order to really know uh, how you feel about it, which is not always the case. You know, most games, I would argue, you understand the value of it and the value, the things it brings to you. Uh, as soon as you you're done with them, um, because the the enjoyment is very mechanical, and in this one, uh, much like any great piece of art, the requirements for for it for quote unquote enjoying it are much more cerebral and intellectual. You have to integrate what you've lived through, what you've experienced, uh, and and process it in order to understand whether or not you. Uh, you assign value to that experience. Um, so I'll, I'll be talking about this in just a little bit. And the big thing is, of course, the narrative content, the story and the, the ride it takes you through. So I'll get to that in a little bit. I just want to mention uh, the kind of trivial aspects of the game, um, which are things like uh, graphics and gameplay and level design and things like that which is almost comical to say that they're trivial because all of these things are two-thirds or four uh, three-fourths of any other game in any other game the the draw the main draw is going to be gameplay um but a big part of it is also going to be graphics and you know the way the game is designed on a on a, a game design perspective and not in this one in this one all of this is almost almost uh, an accessory to the story so the graphics are, of course, as you've heard, incredible. I don't even think I need to spend too much time on it. Uh, the level of detail, the the way the levels are constructed, um, the the luxurious uh, flora that is reclaiming the cities. It's mind blowing what is achieved by this game. It is by far the best looking console game ever created. I think. Um, and of course, it's a single player experience, which can focus on increasing the uh, expertise, the, the, the expertness of the graphics, but it is still uh, a marvel to look at. So, all right, that's settled. The gameplay is honestly very similar to the first one. I was a little bit taken aback by this. There are some changes. There are some, uh, I don't even want to say improvements. There are changes, but they're minimal. By and large, you feel mostly like you felt in the first one. It's a little bit heightened. Um, there's a little bit of additional options and you can approach maybe things uh, in slightly different ways. But mostly, um, it's the same as the first one. And if you didn't like the gameplay in the first one, I suspect you're not going to enjoy uh, the gameplay in the second one. It's not, I'm not saying it's unenjoyable. I certainly um, had a, a good time on the gameplay part. I thought it was um, valuable. The, it was valuing my time. Each new arena you would get into was kind of a puzzle stealth uh, action. And it was fun, but it was very much just like the first one in the feelings it would, you know, the, the, the gameplay would create. Um, I, at this point, I do want to mention that both from a gameplay and a uh, overall story, I guess, perspective or, or um, importance, the infected are almost in the background. They almost don't matter. Um, they're there, 
but it is such a in the first one it was really half of the conflict of the game half of the action of the game was versus the infected in this one it feels like even if maybe the number of encounters are uh, equally divided between infected and humans it feels like they really don't matter there are a couple of scenes that you will remember but it's interesting to note i think um and also the latter puzzles are mostly gone puzzles are mostly gone which means the game is in the first one it was uh narrative content action encounter and puzzles in this one it's mainly narrative content and uh, action encounters which i think makes it a little bit more intense for better or worse i think some people might uh might understandably um, think that it is a little bit too repetitive. Um, so yeah, uh, the level design, I think, deserves a mention as well. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're, they are still essentially hallways. It, you always have one exit, one, en one entrance, one exit to every section of the game. Uh, you have very little, except for uh, an early part of the game where there, there is a somewhat open section uh, but most but even then you you have an open map and then you go to a place and in that place you have a a, a hallway type of thing kind of like in gears of wars 5 uh, gears of war 5 where you had that open map which really wasn't one that's somewhat similar here maybe it's a little bit better integrated but mostly the level design is hallways but they managed to um disguise this hallway design with much wider areas where you feel like you have more freedom i think the uncharted games in general and uh the first last of us felt a lot more like hallways here you feel like you have much more freedom to explore the area and almost feel like you are um choosing where you're going to go where in reality you're really guided very cleverly through the level design and visual cues to the only exit of that section so that is a, a welcome improvement in the level design, even though, of course, it's designed to be uh, very linear. Um, the, the last couple of questions I'll get into before I talk about the story, which again is going to be the main part of this uh, discussion, is, is it better or worse than the first one? And as I mentioned, I think I'm going to need to think of it for a long time, um, but it i think it's not as good as the first one at this point i think it's very powerful you know the the first one to me is as good as a game can be um and of course this is always very personal but to me it's as good as a game can be and this one feels incredible but maybe it doesn't reach the height of the first one um because of that the weight of that conclusion but as i mentioned as I think about it more and more, I, I feel like what it's achieving is incredibly strong and powerful. So I wouldn't be surprised if down the line, even with my thinking is evolving very quickly, if within a few days I might think, or a few weeks, I might think, well, it's actually as good um, or better, maybe. I don't know. It, it does many very powerful things. Um, the, the, the other question is, is it 
fun? Did I like it? Did I enjoy it? It's definitely not fun. Um, it is... I, it's an experience that is hard. And of course, we'll talk about this more. So maybe I can get into it when I'm going to talk about genre. I, before I do that, I, I just want to mention um, something which is a side note. Thankfully, because I think it wouldn't have been a side note a, a few years ago. Um, in the story, let's dive into the story. Every main character is a woman. Every character of importance is a woman. Um, and people note it, I think, but it's rarely discussed. And that's not even something I, I want to discuss here. It's just that I want to note it to say that it's not being discussed when I think a few years ago we would have had a huge discussion about this. And uh, I guess this means we're going in the right direction. And uh, it is... They're all women and they're all characters, uh, very much characters. And by the way, Ab Abby being buff, I think it's also not being discussed, but she is so badass and physically badass, which is rare in games. And she's still very much of a woman, but she's impressive and she has weight. Like her, her whole physicality is something that I think we usually associate with men, especially in games or movies. And yet she's still very much a woman and it shows that it can be done and that not, I really appreciate the fact that of course, she's not the only woman in the game. They remark on her, uh, on her physique, on her physical strength, but it's not something that is the main focus of everything. And she's not the only uh, woman, so it's not like, oh, women in order to be badass need to be physically buff like uh, a man usually is. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciated this, and I think it's uh, interesting that, thankfully, it hasn't become the focus or a focus of this um, game and the thing people are talking about. Uh, the, the other thing I want to mention is that this is not Joel and Ellie's story, clearly. So in that sense, it's not a direct... Well, it is a direct continuation of the first one, of course, but um, it's not their story, it's another story. And I think this created some issues with some of the uh, gamers we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and the last thing I want to say uh, before I dive into the genre of the, of the game is that about the duration, I think people, many people think it's too long. And I think there is some padding, maybe. Uh, the game is like 20 to 25 hours long. Um, I think there's some padding. Yes. And at some points I was like, okay, they're adding an encounter here when they, there maybe didn't need to be, to be one. Maybe. Um, I don't think it's too long though, in the sense that maybe it could have been a couple of hours shorter, but it can't, you can't cut out a big part of it because even the parts that are, that you feel are long are imprint on you the feeling of what it is to live through this world and to live through these situations. And if you just if you just play for a couple of hours of something and you're like, okay, okay, I get it. You might get it, get it like intellectually, you understand it, but you haven't lived through it. And I think that is an important part of the journey that the game takes you on. So a little bit of padding maybe, but I, I wouldn't like say it's too long. 
Um, because if you, if you shorten it significantly, um, you don't have the same experience anymore. So those are general thoughts. Now let's dive into the story and the genre. Um, so I, I would like to note that the story is something, the genre is something very rare in gaming, and that's a tragedy. Uh, I've seen it described as, you know, compared to different movies and different, and I, I don't think anyone has mentioned that it's a tragedy. And every, almost every other game on this planet is either an action game or a puzzle game or a strategy game or that kind of thing. And they're all very based on gameplay. This one is nothing like that. There's, there, it is maybe not 100%, but 95% a tragedy. And that is not something that you're supposed to uh, enjoy in the sense that you enjoy a comedy or an action flick. You derive, it's not pleasure, but you derive something, I don't know how to describe it exactly, out of the sense of sadness and despair and maybe even helplessness that it creates in you. Uh, the closest uh, comparison that I can find is Romeo and Juliet. I know it's been compared to many other works of art, but Romeo and Juliet is, in the purest sense, a tragedy. You are shown characters that you grow attached to, and in the end, they, when they could have been, there could have been happiness and joy and elation, there is needless death of both of them. It's not even... You know, the, the, if you don't know the story of Romeo and Juliet, look it up. But essentially, in the end, they didn't need to die. And they both die at their own hands. It's, it, it is a horrendous story. It's, it's horrible. And yet, you know, we, quote unquote, enjoy it. To me, The Last of Us Part II is in that category. Of course, there are many other examples. But it is in that category. It's a tragedy. And I don't know who can say that this doesn't have value. You know, it's not, we obviously it is one of the main genres of storytelling that exists. And uh, the fact that we have very rarely done this in gaming is striking, uh, but also doesn't obviously doesn't mean this doesn't have value. Um, or that the fact that it's not enjoyable is somehow a, 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 a the final uh, uh, knock against it. Um, so, of course, the fact that it's a game means that they're, they're making us do things that we don't want to do. And let's get a little bit more specific here. Um, even more than in the first one. I think the first one, there were some things that we didn't want to do, and it was really violent. But it's like the last scene of the first one where we don't want to do what Joel does, and we are forced to do it because that is what the game is about but over the entire game almost. Um, of course, in that area, I think the, um, the thing that people will, will remember the most and the visually, like the, the directing, the, the, the filmmaking almost technique, uh, mastery that will st stick with us for a very long time is the scene where Ellie 
uh, murders Nora, the the one in, where the the with the red image of Ellie, with her face contorted with anger and pain, and the game asking you to press the button, and you don't want to do that. Mostly, I'm guessing most of us don't want to do it. And yet we have to, just like we probably didn't want to kill the doctor as Joel in the last uh, game, but we still did it. And the whole game is a little bit like this. Even when you kill a random character, a random enemy in the game, uh, in, an, in an action encounter, if most of us have seen uh, their face where you, you kill them, you plant your knife in their throats and they're eyes are you know it, it is horrendous and it's there's still a, some level of ludonarrative dissonance where you don't want to kill people but you or, or when it doesn't matter that you kill people as it is in you know uncharted where you kill hundreds of enemies and then you try to save one person and it's like oh no someone's gonna die but you've been killing people forever in this one of course you kill a lot of people but it always feels violent and and kind of wrong in a way um, so that, uh, not enjoying what you're doing is key, of course. And that scene in particular, Red Ellie, um, which is, I guess how I'm going to call it, um, is the epitome of, of that aspect of the game. And the other thing, which I think is, is essential, which I've been listening to people review the game and, and, um, the, mostly the reactions on the internet. Um, so, okay, I'm going to say one thing. There are a lot of people, apparently there's the whole review bombing thing about people being upset that Joel dies, which I'm guessing some people, many people who are review bombing the game are, you know, haven't played through it. They just hear, oh, what, Joel dies? We love Joel. He was... And... That is, you know, what is wrong with many things. But in, in this instance, uh, the gamer anger culture. Because I can guarantee you, which I have no idea about, but I'm pretty certain that most people who are angry about this and going on like, ah, the, the gamer anger community action, and they are the same people who would be angry, quote-unquote, at AAA games for doing, always, like, grabbing for money and, and wanting to, to, to do sequels all the time that are the same, but just to get money from us, and big corporations are horrible, and we hate EA, and, and here is a giant AAA game that is doing something really different and really artistic, probably comparable to, you know, it's a... a, a to an extent, to a small extent, uh, comparable to Red Dead Redemption 2, which was kind of a quadruple A indie game, as I put it. Um, and, and people are like, oh, no, this, this sucks because it's not what we wanted. Uh, and I'll get back to Joel in just a second. But um, the, the review of the game in general, there are a lot of people who seem to think that the two parts are not two parts in this game. Of course, in the beginning, uh, you play as Ellie, and big, big spoiler here, uh, in the, when you're done with Ellie's journey, you start playing as Abby. And there's a whole 10, 12 hours as, when you play as Abby. 
And there's a lot of people that, that seem to characterize this second part where you play as Abby as a detour. Um, they think, oh, we were having a story. And then just when we get to the conclusion of that story with Ellie um, being confronted with Abby, which she's been chasing for the whole game at this point, they cut and tell us something that has no relationship with it. And that's frustrating for them, it seems. And that is the most unbelievably ridiculous thing I have ever heard in my life about anything. A little bit of emphasis here for uh, effect. But obviously that story, that, that uh, section with Abby is not a detour. It's not like another thing that, it's, that the game is telling you. It's the whole point of the game. It is the entire reason why the game exists. The whole reason is that it shows you, it puts you in the shoes of Ellie. It takes you through a specific uh, uh, intellectual path. And then it shows you something else which puts that last moment, that last confrontation in a whole different context. And it wants to tell you, this is how you felt until now. And you have Abby barge into the theater and point a gun at Ellie and you hate Abby. And you're, you, you, this is the, the, the moment that you've been dreading. You don't want that to happen. You've been trying to avoid, you hope that she something happens to Abby and they somehow take her down. And throughout the next 10 hours, you put that moment in context and you have a different outlook on it. That is the whole point of the game. And by the way, time hops are key to this game. They might be a little bit confusing at some points, but they are this game. They are this piece of art. They're, they're, the entire idea of the game is to show you something, make you feel like you understand the state of mind of the protagonists, and then show it in a different light and make you feel like maybe there's another way of looking at it. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you listen to The Phileas Club, which is another show I do, I feel like to an extent this is kind of The Phileas Club, the game. <laughs> you know, um, this is exactly uh, what I, well, not exactly. This is somehow a little bit of what I tried to do with The Phileas Club, which is showing different perspectives on a situation that you are dead set on understanding in a specific way. Um, the, the final Joel scene is another example. The then scene is another example of time hops being key to you understanding how things go. Um, so this is really the theme of the game. The shifting perspectives is the theme of the game, and it does so in a very powerful way because you play through all of this. You, you can, you, we've seen this in many other um, art forms. We've seen this in movies, in TV shows, in books, in many different art forms. But this one is special because you play through all of it. And so the, um, the, the way you experience it is particular uh, and more strongly felt. I think the best example of this is actually uh, Joel himself, because in the first one, 
And this is what some people who probably haven't played the game are angry about. In the first one, you grow to love Joel and to value his relationship with Ellie and to understand why he did what he did. And you kind of, you, you go into his shoes and you are um, with him. Maybe you don't want to kill the doctor, but you don't want Ellie to die. You want to save her, no matter the cost, kind of, because you feel the way Joel feels. And then throughout this game, very early on, actually, you're taken out of that frame of mind. And you're looking at what Joel did and who Joel is with a little bit more of a neutral uh, point of view. And you realize that he is a psychopath. Not a psychopath, but he's the biggest criminal the world has ever seen. He's worse than anything that has come before. Hitler, Stalin, uh, Attila, uh, throw in any dictator you've ever thought of. Like, he has doomed humanity. Everything that happens, every person that dies forever from that point on because of the situation, not just the infected, but the situation, the, the apocalypse that the infected create, all of this is his fault. He is the worst person that has ever lived. And this is an incredible shift in perspective that honestly, even though I knew, you know, his choice was difficult in the first one, it was like, oh, but you do humanity, ha ha ha, okay, but yeah, but you save your adopted daughter. And the bond between them is so incredible that, oh, it's so beautiful. No, he is, there is no, well, of course, there are ways of justifying what he did, but it's much more difficult than you felt in the first one. So this is the first major perspective shift. And because you played through all of this, it is much more deeply felt. And of course, the theme of this game, the main one, is the shifting perspectives between Ellie and Abby. In the first part, you go through all of the three days in Seattle as Ellie and you feel justified in every action, that murderous action that you take. Of course, you understand it's destructive. You understand that Ellie is going down a dangerous path, but your concern is with what, with what Ellie is doing to herself, mostly. And the people that you kill, those people on that list, the eight people who were involved in killing Joel, you kind of a part of you wants them to die. You are on a righteous path of revenge that we've been used to in many games. And there is very little that, that you, you feel uh, pushes you psychologically, not the game, but pushes you towards saying, I don't want them to die. Maybe you don't want to kill them, but you understand why they would have to die because of course they killed Joel and you're Ellie. And you have that, that connection. And of course, even more than that, even if you don't um, quite understand why she's being so adamant on... It, it still feels a little bit strange that she's going... She's, she has such rage and he has such anger. And it's, she's going down that self-destructive path, um, even though it's clearly self-destructive. At the end of the game, you understand that the reason she's so consumed by all of this 
is that she was just about to find a way to healing her relationship with Joel. I don't think this is the strongest, the strongest um, perspective shifting of the game. I think it explains it. It doesn't work as well as maybe some of the other um, perspective shifts of either game. But it's still something that kind of attempts to explain to you that internally she can't let it go because what Abby did wasn't just give justice to herself, her dad, and the world. It took away that opportunity that Ellie had to regain her, the love of her adoptive father, of someone who was very dear to him, to kind of heal their relationship. And she was just ready to do it. And that opportunity was taken away from her. And she feels guilty and angry about all of this. And that is what leads her down that path. So, of course, the first part of the game is we want Abby's group to die. But the second part of the game is, and I think this is where it doesn't work for some people. And again, I don't understand how it could not work because on me it completely uh, uh, worked perfectly, which is they put you in Abby's shoes. And of course, they explain that's when we discover that Abby's dad was a doctor, which she has a personal stake in that uh, incident that happened at the hospital, um, on top of the you know humanity's stake. And she, we also understand that not only did Joel take uh, Ellie away, but she, he also killed the only brain surgeon that exists <laughs> that could have done this. Maybe there's another one somewhere, but it's not... Um, surprising to hear that they don't have that many brain surgeons around to um, save humanity anymore. So it is even more heinous of a crime that Joel did. And so more importantly, we go through Abby's journey on those three days and with some time hops, and we come to understand and care for the characters that uh, are in her group. And if that didn't work for you, if you still thought, oh, pfft, they don't, you know, they don't matter, then of course the whole game crumbles. The, the game doesn't work. And I honestly, I mean, it's like games are like anything else. Some people like some things, some people don't like the same things and like something else. You know, you don't get angry at something because they don't like curry. You don't get angry at something because they don't like uh, uh, broccoli uh, at someone. Some people like something, some people don't. It's fine. <laughs> you don't yell at someone on the internet because they don't like chicken and you like chicken or because they like chicken and you don't. Of course, some people are going to like this game, some people are not going to like this game. And I think the key reason why you might not like this game is because the second part doesn't work for you. And I don't understand it, but I understand it. It's fine. But to me, it worked so well that I cared about every one of those people that I didn't care about before. Especially Owen and Mel, of course. Uh, they're the ones that we spend the most time with, and they are full-fledged humans that care about things. And they're good people in the end. They, they spare as many people as they can, especially Ellie. Um, they went on a path of justice. Abby, Abby wanted revenge, but it was justified by the fact that it was justice. Ellie just wants revenge. 
and she is indiscriminate in killing those people that we now care about. And of course, there are a lot of parallels and mirrors and contrasts between the two. Uh, many, many things are uh, mirrored in the two stories, and I won't go into those things because it, it would take even longer to discuss than, uh, than this. But um, it is that which is the key. You care about those people. And when you play as Ellie and you get into that aquarium and you kill the damn dog that jumps on you after many other dogs have jumped on you, and then you kill Owen and Mel, it is tragic. And of course, this is when Ellie finally breaks down. But there's still those people that, oh, well, yeah, she's pregnant. Oh my God, I killed a pregnant lady. I, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I killed Owen, that's fine, the dog, whatever. But when you enter that aquarium as Abby, and you know what's going to happen, you know what you're going to find there, you're horrified, and you don't want to step into that room. You, you feel that intense tragedy, the inevitability of all of this. And by the way, about perspectives, Joel is kind of worse than Thanos almost. Um, and you spend, of course, the first, the whole first uh, movie in the Infinity War duology, understanding maybe why Thanos does what he does. Not quite emphasizing with him as much as you do with Joel, but it's an interesting thing. And I think, of course, Joel is, <laughs> well, Thanos did it on a cosmic scale, but Joel dooms everyone. So anyway, who's worse, Thanos or Joel? You can have your uh, debate on that very important point. But um, so you do, as Abby, you don't want to, to th there's the tragedy of it that you feel because you know what's going to happen. And that is, and you don't want to enter, ah, it is so powerful. And then when you get back to um, the, the theater where you find Ellie, finally that perspective has shifted to an extent, you, you don't feel about this situation as much as the same way you did 10 hours earlier. When you first encountered Abby, finally, you were on the side of Ellie. And now at the very least, you're mixed. And sometimes I think for me even, um, I was on the side of Abby. She did arguably nothing wrong. She was uh, merciful even. Um, this is the, the, that situation where she points the gun at Ellie is you almost, I mean, you don't want her to kill Ellie, but you don't want Ellie to kill her either. It is putting that situation in such a stark contrast. And then, of course, Ellie is the boss that you have to fight in that scene, that hand-to-hand -hand combat scene. And you want to prevail as Abby, which again is a, feet of, of incredible proportions that not only had you spent the previous 10 hours or 12 hours playing as Ellie and feeling justified in your revenge to an extent, but you also had the entire first game where you played as Ellie and learned to care for her. So the fact that in the middle of the second game, you play as Abby and you're like, man, I don't know about that Ellie girl. I don't know if I want her to survive is a it's not just that you don't want the character to survive or you want to beat her, you want them to be both safe. It's that 
the game takes you through that journey and makes you feel those things where you are challenging your own views of everything, of situations, of the world. Um, and this is something that a game can... I don't think a movie does it in the same way. I don't know if it's better or worse to experience it as a passive observer. Uh, obviously, I love movies and they have a huge amount of value. But having played through it yourself in a game, it is a unique way of delivering that art, that sensation. Um, so it is that which to me, and I think clearly, is the key of the game. And it is a masterful thing. Um, I'm going to get back to a little bit of those big um, shifts, but I want to talk about the conclusion of the game, the last three hours. I have to say, I when we finished the Abbey path and we get back to Ellie and uh, Dina in the farm, I was praying that the game wasn't over. And of course, uh, the game plays with you on that uh, front. And uh, Neil Druckmann and Naughty, Naughty Dog make you feel at multiple points in that section that this is it. Um, when Ellie gets the baby and sits on the tractor and tells the baby, oh, I'm going to have so many things to tell you, so many stories to tell you. You think, I was thinking, no, don't end it here. I need something else. I need something more. And it it really clearly pans to that setting, setting sun and you feel, oh, this is going to be it. But no, it isn't, of course. Um, and you have the additional part which shows you that really Ellie cannot let it go and has to lose everything, not just some of her, but everything um, in order, or maybe she doesn't have to, but she does. It doesn't stop there because the, the and we're shown this with PTSD and that moment where we feel where we go to, uh, you know, get the sheep back in the barn. You feel that something's something bad is going to happen. Um, and there's the PTSD moment and we're worried. And um, of course, everything else happens afterwards. But the, the, the other message there is that revenge is so destructive. It leaves nothing behind. Even the, the Seraphite Island is an apocalyptic, on an apocalyptic uh, event. And this is prophesized in the song that Joel sings to Ellie, of course, at the beginning of the, mo of the movie, of the, of the game, uh, the, the song which says, if I lose you, I will surely lose myself. And she loses herself. And not only does she lose herself, she loses everything. And causes others to lose everything. Everyone dies, almost. But really, and then they die in the most pointless ways often. They're just in the path of a bullet. They're dead and that's it. People we care about. But there's a point to this. Revenge is so destructive for herself, of course, but for, for everyone else. And it has to be... Uh, uh, complete for her to... Uh, so I think 
the, the game is much more relentless than the first one. We, we are bathed into that relentlessness forever. In the first one, there was some of that, of course, a lot of it. But there were things to hold on to. There were hopeful moments. Um, there were moments that, that, that you could grab onto and think, yes, there is beauty somewhere in this world. I, I don't think this one does this almost at all. Um, there's also the part that I think it retcons a little bit of Ellie's story, or at least the way I saw the end of the first game, where my understanding was that Ellie knew uh, that Joel was uh, lying to her, but she was accepting to accept it. And I think deep down on some level, she kind of knew, which is also why uh, she is so angry with all of this, because she's also angry with herself. But that's my interpretation <laughs> to try and safeguard my view of the, of the first one. But um, th th this is a, a, a relentless story. And unlike the first one, as I was saying, there's very little to hold on to. Um, the, the, the ultimate path and the, the, the conclusion of that conclusion is that she has to maybe not forgive Abby, but accept that this is the situation, accepting of the situation, and she has to let it go. Uh, and of course, this is illustrated by the fact that this, this image of Joel was that she was ready to accept that this is what he did and accept him, even though this is what she did, accept the situation. And this is the path that she couldn't conclude with Joel, and she has to conclude it with uh, Abby, with, of course, that last fight, um, where you definitely, if in the theater, you weren't sure who you wanted to win, quote-unquote, I think in that fight on, on the beach in the water, you just want them to stop. You want both of them to, to stop this. You, you, this is a horrendous unfolding of a situation that you don't want to keep happening. It is so senseless because of the corrosiveness of that revenge. And she has to literally lose everything and be, of course, we understand that she has lost Dina. She has lost all of her friends. She has lost herself. She is physically destroyed and reach rock bottom of everything in order to maybe ex decide that it's not worth it, I suppose. I'm, I'm kind of working through this part with you. Maybe I didn't think about it to a satisfying conclusion, but I think the way I understand it is she has to hit rock bottom and decide at that point, I don't want to keep going down that path because there's nothing there, maybe, or I have to get out of this. And the only way of getting out of it is accepting it and maybe letting her go and letting go of that revenge, which is what she does. Um, and there are so many incredible scenes um, that, that, that hinge on that idea of shifting perspectives. Of course, uh, Yara and Lev, the, the scenes, I mean, even as scenes, cinematic action things, the running in the darkness with Yara and Lev is incredible. There's on a uh, design level, uh, the, the shotgun to Joel's knee 
is so sudden and they, the, the game manages to surprise you over and over again with some of these things when you know that this is what it's based on. And they're not there. I mean, of course, there is shock value to them, but it is like the, the perspective of that shotgun to Joel's knee is that you can't believe he is not going to survive in this game. He is the hero of the first one. And the shotgun to the knee is, it's impossible to recover from. I mean, he's going to lose that leg. They show you very clearly, graphically, he can't recover from this. And it's kind of indicating to you that he's probably going to die. There's no recovering from this to an extent. Um, and that is an incredible cinem cinematic scene. The sniper scene from a gameplay and um, shifting perspective point of view is amazing. You, of course, it's been discussed in by many reviewers. You hate that sniper because of what it does to you from a gameplay perspective. You don't, you, you want to get there. You don't know who he is. You want to get there and put a bullet in his head. Of course, not in the real world sense, like, but in a gameplay sense, you want to end that encounter and shoot that enemy. And of course, then you see that, you know, it is Tommy and you're taken aback a little bit. Um, another beautiful scene, of course, is the museum scene with Ellie and Joel, with the dinosaurs and the space thing, which is reminiscent of the um, expansion of The Last of Us 1, which, by the way, they, they're, it seems they're not working on an expansion for this one, which I can understand. I would, But um, that scene where she travels to space is so incredible. Um, and, of course, the, the relationship between Abby, uh, Abby and Yara and Lev... Um, is, I think, reminiscent of the first game, and it shows that there is some, maybe, hope there, uh, a little bit, the, the, the shred of hope that we have in this, this second game, but it puts her on the path that uh, Joel was on, to an extent. She's very comparable to Joel, uh, Abby, in this one. Um, and that is also a perspective on uh, the, the Seraphites, which, of course, are still, by and large, uh, incredibly hateable, <laughs> hateable group, but that shows you, well, there are individuals in this and it's not, you know, they're not all. And then you explore their island and you see there aren't just fighters. There are a lot of people who just live there. And anyway, so that's another one of the perspective shifting things. Um, overall, Let's, this, is, this has been almost an hour. I think the game deserves it, uh, absolutely. But let's get to a conclusion. Um, this is an incredible work of art. And I understand that not everyone will like it. Um, it is absolutely not for everyone. I think if you don't get into what's happening with Abby, um, obviously the game is not going to work for you because this is the entire game. The main perspective shifting thing is hating Abby's group with Ellie and loving or caring for those same people with Abby. And that is the, 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 the key of the game. If that doesn't work for you, of course, the, the game is only a series of senseless killings. Um, so, but for me, it absolutely worked. I think it's something that only a game could do in that way. I think it's something that almost no other game has ever done. 
Um, there, there, you could argue there are some games that are tragedies. I think maybe What Remains of Edith Finch could be uh, described as a tragedy. There might be others. Um, but this is very rare. And to that extent, in that way, it doesn't, I don't think it really exists. And this is valuable in that sense. And it is a way that, you know, we keep talking about video game as art. And there are certainly examples of video game as art, many examples. But often people think of video games as art and think of indie projects or atypical projects in their presentation or in their... Um, that, that kind of almost try to get away a, a little bit from the video game-ness or try to take a stab at the industry by being an indie um, project that says, I don't like the way things are done in the video game space as a whole. I think this one is unapologetically a triple A production. It is a big studio and it says, it's, it's essentially a blockbuster movie that is also a great director's movie. And there are many of those, of course, but I don't think we have a lot of those in the video game uh, space. And for that alone, it's commendable. But beyond that, uh, the, the way it makes you think about perspectives and revenge and what you want to... The way you look at things is the best thing that a piece of art can do. So, yeah, there's still a lot to unpack here. I'm sure I'm going to keep thinking about it, as I said, for many, many weeks and months. And uh, we'll see what happens towards the end of the year, if it is in the end my game of the year. Uh, there are still many other games that are coming out, of course. But um, it it is an impactful game. It is not enjoyable in the traditional game sense, but... It is so impactful and I can't get it out of my head. I think it is powerful and uh, I'm very glad that it exists and that I got to play through it. So, yeah, those are my impressions on The Last of Us Part 2. If you want more from me, please feel free to go to Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. I'm not Patrick on all of those platforms. And uh, we'll be back for another episode in uh, a little while, uh, a week or so. I hope you have a wonderful time today and I will talk to you soon. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.